0: Hello, I'm Dan Hall. Making the show costs money. If you listen regularly, please consider subscribing to my Patreon page. The link is in the show notes. But if you can't afford to, that's no problem. Instead, please recommend the show to a friend or two. Thanks for listening.
1: in that sense i feel like look if they want to identify as a straight man and live a heteronormal life you know maybe they have a wife maybe they have children that's them if they want if they want to be called straight i'll call them straight um so sometimes I, I try to be a little open-minded by it but i just again i don't understand why you need to tell me that you're straight acting like just just and what does that mean you like
0: sports this is in the key of q featuring queer music queer chat and queer stories from around the world Everyone is welcome to the conversation, whatever beautiful identity pleases you. Music helps us feel connected and know that we are not alone. Do remember to join the conversation across socials using the hashtag #QueerMusic. I'm Dan Hall, tune in and be heard. This week's guest is a multi-talented queer creator who has been working his trade for over a decade he recently debuted his first solo album, entitled You Love Being Sad, and You're Sad That You Love It. He describes himself as a queer, non-binary, oversexed atheist. Those sound like four good reasons to have him on the show. He joins me today from the glamorous sunny Palm Springs in California. Laura Con, welcome to In the Key of Q. Thank you so
1: much, Dan. It's good to be here.
2: I forgot that you Let me grab fuck you guys
1: outside I grew up in Los Angeles, born and raised. I guess that's kind of uh, rare, but um, I'm a Los uh, I'm, Like now I'm living in Palm Springs, but I like to consider myself Californian more so than American. It's definitely like a, a blessing and a curse, you know I like that I'm from there, I like that my family's still there and I could be. I can go back when I want, but um I definitely just I definitely wanted to be out of there
0: um as soon as I could. Hollywood is such an iconic global cultural space. What was it like growing up there? I,
1: I was kind of overwhelming. I feel like everybody's in the industry, you know, a lot of I think Los Angeles gets a, a really bad rap. I mean, I like to call it Lollywood because it encompasses Los Angeles and Hollywood. Um, but I think it gets a bad rap. People like to think that um everybody's fake there. But I, I feel like the people that come off as fake are all the transplants. You know, everybody goes there to, to want to be somebody. And I guess everybody's faking it until they make it. So I feel that Los Angeles gets a bad rep um, because everyone thinks everybody's fake. But um, if you actually meet a real Los Angelino, they're actually very down to earth and uh, really real and rooted in their
0: Los Angeles culture. And what was it like for you? What were some of your experiences as a little boy?
1: I mean, growing up, uh, honestly, I was only being from Hollywood, and um, I guess I was lucky for me, but I was only interested in art, really. Uh, I was rather reticent, maybe a little, a little bit of a loner. Um, I kind of prefer to be alone. I mean, I would go outside and I was probably from the last generation that would go outside and play with kids on the block, you know, bikes and stuff. But I always found myself leaving the group and um, kind of isolating myself in my bedroom and just listening to music and drawing and watching movies. I I much preferred it, I guess, other than, um, rather than playing outside. oh, I was probably younger than six, probably like four, five, really young. It, was, it came on really early where all I was doing was wanted to listen to music and draw. And um, my parents were like, what are we going to do with him? So they actually ended up, uh, ended up enrolling me in a um, Los Angeles music and art school.
0: And where were you getting the music from that you were listening to?
1: Oh, my goodness. Um, that's fairly in- uh, most Okay, so I I grew up in like the 9 We're talking about right now probably like the early 90s. So this was like during Disney's renaissance. You know, Alan Menken had just wrote The Little Mermaid. So that was in the ethos. Um, Whitney Houston's The Bodyguard soundtrack was, was on the radio. Um, and I actually rem- <laughs> remember that movie coming out. I was probably six years old. And I really wanted to see it. And my parents like rented it on VHS back in the day and um, they said no that i couldn't watch it because i was obviously six years old and that movie was rated r however i did sneak it and when nobody was watching i watched it and that movie was life-altering um and between that and like watching cartoons you you especially like warner brothers they really do use a lot of classical music
0: in it funnily enough i was just talking about the warner brothers cartoon schools just the other day because apparently they were so amazing because they used the warner brothers orchestra you know the amazing orchestra one of the best ones in america when there would be kind of between films they would do these amazing tom and jerry scores
1: yeah so influential for me at least it it was just really great to be that young and be exposed to that kind of what, what i consider like high art
0: you know and also the quality of the material was so good I think it's so easy with kids to sort of go, oh, it's only for kids, so let's just be a bit half assed But you watch those cartoons, and the animation and the scoring, it's just such high quality.
1: No, and some people only recognize the music as, you know, that Bugs Bunny song, you know, when he's at the opera, or he's shaving Elmer Fudd, you know, and they don't know the music outside of those cartoons, which is sad, but at least they're exposed to it.
2: But this is not your life. I'm dated
1: Thankfully, I was um, I was babysat a lot by my aunt, my my mom's sister, and she was born in the fifties. So all she listened to were, were oldies. So growing up, I would like be there all day listening to you know music from the fifties and sixties. And my parents listened to stuff like the Cranberries and like Day and Bob Marley. Um, and personally, I just loved more the orchestration um, type music. Uh, or musicals or operas so I did have a, a wide spectrum of
0: music that I was being exposed to for me I really felt growing up that music was my safe space really to start to develop my queer identity I could be anything I wanted to be and so when you were young and maybe listening to the Andrew sisters and a bit of Fred Quimbley conducting the Warner Brothers orchestra did you feel that you were starting to get a sense of your own queerness in there
1: I, I definitely felt queer in the sense where the things that I were listening to weren't popular. Um, the kids, my friends around that age, you know, weren't listening to the B-52s or like Bernard Herrmann scores. Um, but it did enhance like, you know, plain, plain make-believe or plain pretend, you know. I remember having Batman figures and I would actually like play the Batman score while I played with my action figures, you know. And I don't know if anybody else did that. I was like scoring my playtime. Um, And I I feel like looking back on that, I I think that's that's very
0: queer. You know, I inherited from a neighbor of mine when I was a kid, a whole lot of Star Wars figurines Uh, and the Death Star. Wow. And I had no interest in the Star Wars storyline at all. So, all I did was recreate storylines from Dynasty, or Dynasties, you'd call it. Nice! You know, they'd kind of all just wander around slapping each other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I used to
1: do the same thing. I feel like they would, you know, give me action figures and stuff. And I remember I got, like, this... Almost like this um, Japanese-made, like, Power Ranger knockoff. But it came with, like, you know, a set of five, and they were all different colors. And to me, I, I made them... I assigned them all to Sailor Moon Scout. So... Uh, while I looked like I was playing like robots, to me, in my mind, they were like the Sailor Moon characters <laughs> and I was having a fun time playing with them.
0: Were you aware at all of being a loner or of being different? Uh, or because it was your norm, did you not really become aware necessarily that you were different or other until you were older?
1: I have a sister that's two years older than me and she's very much extroverted and she was very much out there. So just, com- just having her being her and me being me, I, I-, I knew that I was very, they're very different. Maybe, I mean, some, I think would just say shy because you're a kid coming into yourself, but I always knew that I was queer. And I felt that even though, um, I actually had not one, not two, but three gay uncles, I still felt that my, my sexuality was kind of mine. And, uh, it took me a while to actually let people in on who I was, um, in that aspect. I think when you're queer, in some sense, you realize it's different than the norm. You know, I feel like maybe if you're having a a normal heterosexual experience, you're just, you know, being you in a world that embraces you. But as a queer, I think you you immediately realize that, you know, there's not a lot, at least back in the day, there wasn't a lot of representation uh, or like, you know, role models or how people did it but I definitely, I can speak for myself, I definitely, um, I probably came into my sexuality, I think probably by the age of seven, which sounds young. You know, I definitely had a crush on my, my neighbor, the neighborhood boy who was like 16 at the time, but I knew that, you know, not all boys liked boys.
0: So there's this young gay kid who chooses to isolate themselves a lot in music and to play games on their own, and you're not chatting with the neighborhood kids that much. So where did you find this sense of belonging?
1: When I was um, put into that art school, um, that's when I started to perform um, characters, you know, because normally you just join a choir, and and I was in that, and you would sing songs. But then when you started to... uh, to play, um, parts in musicals and operas, I felt like that was, that was something that was new to me, you know, to, to play pretend and dress up and to get praised for it, um, that kind of really gave me a sense of, of belonging, um, and really introduced me into a world that kind of embraced queerness, even though it was kind of, you know, um, not, not the main purpose, you know, cause there's a lot of queers out there in musical theater and in opera. And though, You don't really talk about it, you know. It's there, and you can't help but notice it.
0: Completely, and I think in a funny way, one of the reasons we're often drawn to dressing up or playing is from a very early age we learn to get used to wearing masks or kind of code switching depending on what company we're in.
1: Yeah, code switching—that's a a very good term. And and yeah, I I believe I think all kids do it. However, I do think it is a skill that is really honed when you're when you're growing up queer in an environment that isn't so.
0: And in a way, I suppose you managed to sidestep what always looks in movies anyway and in TV shows to be the horror of the American high school.
1: This is, I'm still like in my youth. I mean, um, (laughs) my youth, uh, I would say that I joined joined the school probably between like, I don't know, five and eight. So I I was still like really young. Um, but then, you know, I went to middle school and I still like did musicals and stuff. And, though everybody around me just felt straight or was living a hetero um, life. It wasn't until I went into high school, um, that there's a high school in Los Angeles, kind of like the fame school of New York, but it's in Los Angeles. It's the Los Angeles County High School for the Arts. Um, And when I got uh, auditioned and I got accepted there, that was probably like the first time that I saw um, other queer people of my age being openly queer Um, and, and being embraced for it, it was, it was kind of a new experience for me and and it kind of allowed me to, to express myself a little bit more comfortably though. I wasn't so queer, um, so outwardly queer, it still kind of gave me some comfort and, um, I don't know I, I found some solace in the fact that, that I was able to see other people like me, the arts high school that I went to the most popular kids were queer, it was it was such a strange experience to have like the most popular guy in school being an out gay man, and the most popular girl was like this queer lesbian with like really butch um, mannerisms. I mean, don't get me wrong, there was a bunch of heteronormative experiences there happening. You know, like not everybody was queer, but the 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 queer people there felt like they were just living their authentic selves, and nobody at least outwardly, was cruel or like
0: bullying. And so during all this time, and then into your teens and early adulthood, what did your maleness mean to you? What did masculinity mean to you?
1: And I felt like, you know, growing up, um, being born uh, a male, you know, you do, and in a a Latin-based household, there is like this machismo, macho, the man has a role. And to me, it just, I, I didn't, I didn't fully em- embrace that and being queer, seeing a lot of queers in high school and finally like going to, to college and, uh, you know, being alone and away from everything that, that raised me. Uh, I think it allowed me to really just embrace whatever I wanted to be, whoever I wanted to be. It was like playing pretend, but in real life. I'll
2: admit it, but you didn't help. You played the game like me. You wanted sex and honey, I could tell. You played it well, but I could tell, yeah. I was willing, more like I wanted to, reminisce in the past and get lost in the taste of you, the touch of you, the smell of you, yeah. I got lost in that
0: moment. And there's so much discussion at the moment, isn't there, about masculinity and femininity and what these things are or, or are not. You know, you go onto Grinder and Scruff and the hookup apps, and there's just so much toxic masculinity around it. This kind of pantomime thing of "I'm masculine, I'm mask, looking for mask."
1: Yeah, it is. It is. It is really funny when I when you see things, or, or to me, I find it funny when I see people having to tell you that they're masculine. It's it's like if you really are masculine, why do you have to? I should just be able to like see it, right? I should just be able to experience it, or you should just be able to ooze it, and I know that you that you are what you are. You know, so I, I've I have, um, I've hooked up with many uh, uh, straight men, you know, and every time I talk to like a friend or somebody or somebody in passing, I'd be like, oh, yes, I was with this straight guy. And everyone's like, oh, are they really straight then? And in that sense, I feel like, look, if they want to identify as a straight man and live a heteronormal life, you know, maybe they have a wife, maybe they have children, that's them. If they want, If they want to be called straight, I'll call them straight. Um, so sometimes I I try to be a little open-minded by it, but I just, again, I don't understand why you need to tell me that you're straight acting, like just, just, and what does that
0: mean? You like sports? Now we're going to roll forward a little bit because you mentioned there the straight guys that you've hooked up with. I'm really interested in your music that you talk a lot about, uh, the kind of messiness of adult queer narratives. You know, we don't often get to hear these complex gay stories and I'm particularly interested because you do talk about having hookups with married men or hookups with men in relationships. Has your songwriting always been steeped in that level of personal storytelling?
1: Yes, Um, I I feel like that's. uh, I do try to, you know, be like a Kate Bush and try to write narrative and be and put myself in other people's positions. But I often find myself just coming back to this like diary entry experience where I'm just I'm writing my truths. Um, and, and sometimes it really keeps me from sharing my music because I feel like I could be so honest um, and I not even realize it until like maybe after like a couple of months, I'll come back and listen to a song and I'll be like, damn, I really said that or like, I can't believe I'm sharing this with
0: people. One of the things that has surprised me and disappointed me about being 50 and you know, I've just turned 50. I thought all of these problems I had would have sorted themselves out by now. You know, there's been loads of years gone by and they kind of haven't. They haven't. They're still there, and it's just made me realize quite how influential having to hide when I was younger really was on me. Yeah,
1: yeah. I when I I went through, I like reading, and I went through this period of time where I was just reading a bunch of you know like queer literature, and it's it was all so tragic. You know, everyone died at the end, or somebody became a murderer. It was the villain. The queer uh, became uh, the queer. Lead of the book was always a terrible person um, until I read uh, Ian Forrester's Maurice. Ah, yeah. And that was that's like, a great book. I, that was the first time where I was like, oh my gosh, we get a happy ending. And like, it was, it was so refreshing. And it was like, there should be more art that's happy, you know?
0: sex It's fantastic that you list yourself as oversexed. I mean, I would probably put myself in that <laughs> vein as well. I think sex is very interesting because, from the word go, it's not just about getting hard and coming, is it? That the outside world makes our sex life, when I say the outside world, I mean the outside heterosexual world, makes our sex life a political statement, whether we want it to be or not.
1: Yes. Yeah. It also becomes, I mean, uh, I think people or the, the heteronormative world looks at queers and, and probably just thinks that we're all over sex or that we're obsessed with sex. But that's uh, what makes us gay, right, is that we have sex differently. So yeah, it's going to be a part of the conversation uh, whether we, we like it or not. But, but yeah, I do, I do consider myself over sex as, I don't know, I hear that the younger generation isn't having sex. So that always uh, boggles my mind. But um, I definitely am.
0: Well, I'm seeing lots of people suddenly describing themselves as sides, which is an interesting new thing.
1: I I mean, I love that term. I mean, I I think it's the um I think sides have been around forever. You know, like it it allows the 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 heteronormatives to um to be curious and uh, to experiment without going too far or, no pun intended, going too deep. (laughs) (laughs) Did you prepare that one? No, I didn't. That's literally off the cuff.
0: for the next two minutes there's going to be no editing the whole point of this podcast is to give voices to queer artists and for the next two minutes i'm not going to touch a thing you can talk about whatever you want
1: uh well i think i'll probably just take the opportunity to to do something that I'm not really great at, which is self-promotion. Um, I'm I'm just I feel like I ha- I wear so many hats creating my art that self-promotion is something that I really need to improve on. So I'm gonna take the time. I'm probably not even gonna take all two minutes because that just sounds like a really long time. Um, so I'm promote my new my new album, You Love Being Sad and You're Sad That You Love It, is now Streaming on all digital platforms, Spotify, Apple, Deezer, SoundCloud, what have you. Um, So go give it a listen to. Um, And if you're not, or if you want to, you can follow me on the socials. Uh, I don't hang out on the Facebooks. Um, Sometimes I'm on the Instagram, which I need to get better at. Um, Probably on Twitter too much. And I'm sometimes on the TikToks. That app is really addictive. Um, but yeah, stay, um, follow me and stay tuned because, um, I'm, I'm hoping to, uh, get the current the courage, the energy to get out there and start gigging more and performing. So, hey, if you need an opener, uh, hit me up and, uh, yeah, stay tuned for more. I'm trying to do more, do more with the art that I have, even though sometimes it can be, um, quite daunting.
0: So, Loricon, what do you think your 15-year-old self would think of you and your music? Oh,
1: man. Um, I honestly think that they would probably be taken back by how honest I, I can be. And like, and like you said, it, it would be easier to just, to just journal it and put it away. Um, so, I think they would be, you know, kind of, kind of surprised on how bold I've become. Um, but I think they would be happy or even proud to know that um, I'm still doing what I love to do. And that's creating. I love creating ever since I was younger, so I think they would be content to know that I'm still doing that.
0: And why do you think it's important for us to hear our queer voices in music?
1: Um, I think it's just like like in all art, it's just it's just kind of so other people know that we exist, that we're here, that that uh, that as as it may feel at times. Your, your queer experience isn't as unique and as isolating as, as it, it can feel. And I think it's important to hear other people's stories and find other people like you. It gives you, um, gives you hope. It gave me
0: hope. And what queer artist are you listening to? Who do you think we should get in as a guest?
1: Oh my goodness. Um, I love Sob Sister. Um, I, I'm trying to gig with them, but they're they're fun. I've performed with them a few times. Um, everybody else, honestly, like I listen to a lot of people that don't exist anymore. <laughs> they're like they're dead. Um, so <laughs> you couldn't you couldn't have them on. Um, I would say, I mean, not for the guests, but I mean, if you're out there just listening to music, I would do some research and listen to some some older queer music like Labby Labi um, I'm a huge fan of Tchaikovsky. I mean, he was a queer, just listen to his compositions. It's it's very, very dramatic. Um, again, the B-52s just did their farewell tour, but they're an amazing queer punk band, um, pop, queer pop, that I would recommend.
0: We've been listening to your music all the way through this episode, but i like to think we've saved the best till last. I close each episode by saying to the guest, what is your gateway song? And the gateway song is a a number from their catalogue that will act as a perfect introduction to people who don't know their music at all. What would your gateway song be and why? At this moment,
1: I'd have to say my song, Love You Till The Day I Die would be my gateway song because it gives you a little bit of everything that I like to do. Uh, I, I feel like you can definitely hear my musical influences in that song and very queer lyrics. Uh, I have thematic orchestrations, electronic beats. It has quiet verses and really big choruses and unexpected endings. Um, and a lot of the music that I listen to kind of have unexpected endings. <laughs>
2: Cruising with the top down, feels like summer, with the warm wind in my hair. Underneath that sunset, purple mountains remind me where I live. Daddy, this is perfect, California, this is where. Down the freeway, lovely weather, our warmest winter yet, almost to the desert, out the city, away from where I live, tonight we'll drink tea. some whiskey, and I'll smoke one as we watch the stars fade in, tomorrow when we wake up, yerba mate, and I'll make breakfast in bed, I know I never get this way, but you hear me when I say our love. Time lasts forever I, I know forever's not a thing but hear me when i sing love
0: thanks for listening to this episode remember you can support in the key of q via patreon or alternatively spread the word to a couple of friends the opening theme is by paul Lee Nidu at UnstoppableMonsters.com with press and pr by paul smith help others discover new queer music by giving the show a review where you listen to podcasts and thanks to murray lang for his continued support The show is made at Pup Media. I'm Dan Hall. Go listen to some music, and I'll see you next Tuesday. Loricon, thank you very much. Thank you so much, Dan.
2: but your brain says run!